Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party, a podcast for women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. This season, we're bringing in leading female powerhouses to take a deep dive into the topics that matter most to you. Technology, money, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it, we're covering it all. Tune in every Wednesday for career, real talk, and BS-free advice from the best in the biz. Ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Kim Gold has been a self-starter from the get-go. With a deep-rooted passion for fashion and unwavering determination to succeed, the fashion industry vet was running her first business selling clothing on the Venice Beach Boardwalk and around college campuses in just her late teens. This was no extra pocket money side hustle deal either. She was raking in $50,000 a month. And in her early 20s, Kim and her then-husband set their sights on a white space in the male-dominated denim industry. Fashion denim. Enter True Religion Jeans, I'm sure you've heard of it, a luxury locally made denim line. The brand became an acclaimed leader in the premium denim market, and according to Kim, set the stage for the Denim Friday's office movement. The brand achieved mass popularity. Keep in mind, this was pre-social media and e-commerce. None of this was existing. And she went on to sell the company for over $800 million in 2013. And now she's shifted gears, and she's working on a home decor line of high-quality ceramics that she makes in her own Malibu home. In the episode of Work Party, we sit down with the entrepreneurial powerhouse to learn how she founded her company and how she found her place in a male-dominated industry. She built a multi-million dollar empire and pivoted to a new career successfully. And speaking of crushing your goals, I want to let you in on a hot productivity tip. Recently, our team joined forces with the Paper and Packaging How Life Unfolds campaign to boost our productivity with a mini digital detox using paper. We integrated paper into our workdays and found that it really helped to stay centered and goal-oriented throughout the week. Plus, physically checking items off your to-do list is truly so satisfying. I know I cannot live without paper. I write everything down, all my notes, my to-do list, and I love checking it off when I'm done. So without further ado, let's bring in our incredible guest. Welcome, Kim, to the show. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So we always like to start at the beginning and kind of talk about how you ended up doing what you're doing. You know, you've been working in fashion since you were a teenager, but when did you first realize that this was a career, that you were actually building something beyond just having a job as a teenager? 
You know, it's interesting because I've always told my kids that anything that's a passion, anything can easily grow into a business. I always followed my passion and ultimately uh, had quite a few businesses, worked as a designer for quite a few people uh, before True Religion, but it's always been a huge passion. I love that. And so you were selling clothing in LA and bringing in like $50,000 a month. So tell us about this like first business that you had. I mean, you've said you had multiple businesses, which I love to hear about the lessons you've learned in the, those businesses and how it sort of led up to, to true religion. But tell us a little bit about that first business. So we had a boardwalk, you know, Venice boardwalk, which you probably know. And then there was colleges. So I started buying damages and overages inventory from other people, knocking on doors downtown and borrowed a little bit of money from my parents. And I said, I'm, I promise you, I'll pay you back. Right. So literally opened up Venice Boardwalk whilst getting my business degree. And then shortly thereafter, my real estate license. So I just started selling pieces and before you knew it, I had about six outlets. I bought my first building in Santa Monica. I started the business with my you know, first husband, Mark Burnett. Actually, I didn't start it, he joined me. He likes to say in his book, it was him and he knows and he's apologized, but- Of course, of course. We have to apologize because all the men in my life have taken all the credit for the businesses. And I'm like, come on guys, right? So, it really, I mean, to make $50,000 a month and employ people at the age of 19, 18, 19, is really where it started. And then buy a building at the same time, sell that building in Santa Monica back to the person who I bought it from a month later and made $75,000 because the seller of the apartment building decided he didn't want to sell it. I said, oh, I'll sell it back to you but for $75,000 over what I bought it for. Hey, Work Party listeners. If you follow me on Instagram, you know how much I love wine. Today, I want to give you the scoop on Usual Wines. Are you not familiar? Well, let me fill you in. Usual Wines takes the same artful approach to making real wine, but delivers it in generous single-serve glasses. No additives, no sweeteners, and no recorked bottles. Yes to sustainable farms, the best grapes in California, in a fresh glass every single time. Their wines are for the modern drinker, and since every bottle is only 6.3 ounces, your days of pouring stale, unfinished wine down the drain are over. And now for some nutritional facts. Did you know that in the U.S. there are over 60 additives allowed by law to be used in winemaking? Usual doesn't use any chemical or sugar additives. They're truly a clean wine brand. And maybe some of you are asking, but don't grapes contain sugar? Well, yes, they do. All Usual wines are produced using natural, sustainable grapes, which are picked at optimal ripeness to ensure all sugar will be completely fermented until the wines are dry. All that's left over is delicious, low-calorie, clean wine with no residual sugar. As far as varieties go, Usual has a red blend, a rosé, and a sparkling white wine. My personal fave is the Usual Brut. It has these amazing notes of lemon, elderflower, and bergamot. It's refreshing and the perfect way to end a busy remote work week. Plus, you don't have to recap every single time and lose those amazing bubbles. It's the perfect glass. Have I sold you yet? Well, 
Head to Usual's website at www.usualwines.com and use our discount code WORKPARTY to receive $8 off your first order. Again, use discount code WORKPARTY at usualwines.com and check out and enjoy your first glass of Usual Wines on us. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes. Join me every Monday for a new episode of my podcast, Recovering From Reality. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, I'm here to deliver intimate conversations and expert insights to empower you on the road towards authentic wellness. So are you ready to recover from reality? Oh my God, I love it. So what prompted buying this building? Was it for what you were working on or was it just like a good investment? Cause you said you were getting your real estate license. Yeah, it was a good investment. So once I got my license, I brokered the deal. So there was no commission for anybody, but me. Amazing. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I mean, I come from a family of attorneys as well. So I think, Great. you know, master the negotiation aspect of what I learned from them. Absolutely. So obviously you're a natural at sales and that's not necessarily a skill a lot of founders have, but um, you were scrappy. You're building this business. You have employees at 19, you're buying and selling properties. Like it's unbelievable. But what would you say your top three secrets to negotiation are or your top three tips? Because it's interesting. I never felt that I was a natural at selling. I think, and and I've said this, I'm so consistent, is one of the biggest tips is absolute passion. People love that. If you're enthusiastic about your product, like why wouldn't you want to, you know, wear that? Or why wouldn't you want to go to this club? You want to be that person where they are so attracted to your enthusiasm and your passion for your product. Because if you truly are, people want to be a part of that. So I want to say that's my biggest tip. Alongside passion is accepting that people not all people are going to want your product. My motto that my, my now husband always says to me, not looking for a no, always looking for a yes. So you are always going to get those no's. But if you know you're going to get those yeses, those are the people. Uh, and that has been my business perspective or motto with everything that I do. So tell us about the start of True Religion, like how this came together. When it launched, I remember like the fashion denim, like the trendy denim did not exist. It wasn't a thing. You essentially launched an entirely new category. So can you recall the moment when you're like, I'm going to start a denim line? Like when did this all happen? Oh yeah. Well, I had three little boys at the same time, like all almost the same age, which is nuts. So I don't really know how I did that. But what I do know is that I was working for two fashion companies at the time, Liz Claiborne, laundry by Shelly Siegel, and another uh, company called Rampage. Rampage is no longer there. So I was working two companies. My now ex-husband sold fabric. He lost his job. So he's at home with the kids. I said, listen, you're so good at fabric. I'm really good at design and business. Let's start this. Stay at home with the kids right now. I'm working. Let's start this together. It really started quickly. We were living in Manhattan Beach. I was going to trade shows, getting the salespeople, going to El Segundo where our contractor was. And we started with men's because I think it was the start of boyfriend jeans because girls are going to wear boys jeans. Okay. There was no stretch at the time, but these jeans, I was doing clothing parties on the weekends. I was handing them out. I was giving them to people from Fred Siegel's who like, 
literally they had to have them because the most important thing that I find about being first to be first, and that's another motto, not first to be second. We were the first people to have a fashion brand in denim because there was nothing, nobody else had it. I think that's a real big secret is that people don't want to be first to be first because they think it takes longer. There's more, you know, discussing what it is and why you want to wear it. And it happened very quickly. You were excited to be first. You think it was a good thing. I always want to be first. Oh yeah. I mean, that's it. I don't, I always, my boys just started, one of my kids just started a clothing company and I have always said to them, there's no fear in business. There's no fear. What can happen? Nothing. What? It's a lesson. There's no failure. Enjoy the journey, you know, be the first person to offer this in the marketplace. People want to be told that it's really cool. They want to be part of that cool, you know, club. So First to be first, not looking to be second. First to be second. No, 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 that's not for me. (laughs) So when you're launching this company, in the back of your mind, were you like, this is going to be a multi-million dollar company? Or were you just like, we're doing this on the side, we're figuring it out? You know, I had so many other companies too, so I kind of know what happens. But I think what people's misnomer, what they think is I'm doing it, make the money. Most important thing is don't think like that. You cannot think like that because do you think, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to marry that person. That's the end result. No, just go with the journey. Just have fun because your passion will drive you. The money's going to come. I promise it does come. So no, I never thought it would be, I didn't even think that it would be as big as it is. And it still is astonishing, but I don't stand on those laurels. It's a great, it was a great experience, good and bad and ugly but it doesn't define me. Which is good because I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with their identity being absorbed by their business and not being able to separate the two and the success of the company weighs on them personally. It's like, it's very challenging these days, I feel like, especially with Instagram and founders being on Instagram and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, I Uh, think the important thing is that because I'm a mother and that's my most important thing in my life, they define me. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I can't die from a business. It's not going to hug me at night. It's not going to support me when I'm down. It's not going to give me a high five when we have great sales. My family is. So there's no fear in business. My only fear in life is my heart, you know, because I, I am so, you know, attached to, to my friends and family. So people you know, need to think that business is an extension of you. It does not define you. Mm. Absolutely. So you mentioned that you started this company, your husband joined, even though he likes to say he started it. But denim is a very male-dominated industry, especially at the time when you were starting it. So were there ever instances where you felt you were treated differently than your husband? And what was that experience like? We don't have all day, but I'll tell you, (laughs) you know, I hired all of the uh, board of directors, all white male-dominated pricks, you know, I couldn't, they wouldn't allow me to hire women. I'm the largest shareholder of this company with, with my now ex-husband. Let me tell you, it's in the book how unfairly I was treated. I mean, it was horrible. And I was the one considered bitchy and mean. And when I would say, we're not going that direction. We're not making t-shirts for Steven Tyler. We have a company. We have uh, shareholders we're beholden to. 
So if you guys want to take this in a direction to something Steven Tyler, or this, it's all good. Great lesson. Yeah, absolutely. Fast forward, you end up selling the company in 2013 for $835 million. Kudos to you on that. But at that time, women in business wasn't a thing. Like you said, like you had no say, even though you were the the majority shareholder with your ex-husband. I mean, it's wild. I I just feel like hopefully now that wouldn't happen. But I want to talk about the sale of the company because it's so amazing to have such a high exit for uh, a female-led brand. So walk us through that experience, that deal, and how you felt on the other side of it. Well, you know, First of all, having a public company for me was my first experience of even being in a public company. That that on its own is an incredibly arduous set of circumstances, what you have to go through. When, when they were coming in to audit the purchase, and it was a quick process looking back, but there was so many long days of talking about all of the accounting and sales and where we wanted to go, what we would do for the shareholders if we stayed or didn't stay or exit. So, you know, some of these things um, were a lot of it out of my hands, even being the vice president. But on the other side of it, it was like, holy shit. What happens is, is that when something like that happens to you, I've never changed. People who make that kind of money, it it changes my ex-husband for sure. But what happens is the people around me change. So on the other side of it, I became a little bit more of a hermit, having to watch my back, who's coming out of the woodwork, why are you asking me to be your friend? So that's the strangest thing about that set of circumstances. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, it it is like a life-changing experience. But at the same time, to your point, it's like, where were you day one when I was like killing myself to start this company? So I I completely understand that. And I think especially as women in business, sadly, you know, especially for women who are like my age and in this realm, like, you know, it's funny because like when all the Me Too stuff came out in our company, everyone who was like 30 plus was like, here's my story, here's my story, here's my story, my experience. Anyone in their 20s was like, well, I've only worked for you. And I was like, oh, right. Like you've only ever had an experience with like a female boss. And I was like, you know, I hope that that's true for that generation that they have, you know, this great experience. But for us, I mean, no one was there to help me out when I started my business. In fact, it was like women were like, stay in your lane, you know, like, and and don't try and take it from me. And I think that was how it was for so long, understandably, because it was so hard for them to get to their, you know, position of power. But coming out the other side of it, I can only imagine. But what's interesting, I want to talk about a little bit about also people of color, mm. you know, even, even as a woman, do you know what I mean? And then hiring people. I wanted the Benetton of advertisements Yeah, because we were an international company. My husband happens to be black now too, but, it, but the thing about women, what about women of color? You know what I mean? Especially then, you know, talking about 2013, but even now, which is even more depressing, you know, I can't even imagine, but to your point, like, God, Benetton, like so ahead of the game. Like, I just like, I haven't heard that name in so long, but. But that was always my motto. I want to be Benetton of a company. Yeah. Yeah. How could you not be? Yeah. I mean, it's hard because it's like when the boards are, like you said, white, older men. I think that's also important for people to understand too, is like, you're the majority shareholder in this company. You're the vice president. It's your idea. It's your baby. It doesn't necessarily mean you have say over every single thing that happens, right? Well, I think if you are the largest shareholder, you know, my ex-husband 
was the CEO. So ultimately, because he was the majority of on site and I was the mother working two jobs as to support the family, thank you very much. And I trusted him, like seriously trusted this guy. We were married for 20 years. We had three kids together. Uh, rang the, you know, the NASDAQ bell without me, without even telling me this was what's going on. So, you know, you think you have power, but, you know, the CEO ultimately does. Even right. the inventor of this. <laughs> and yeah, but that's what's so crazy is I think the politics of business, and I can't even imagine the politics of business and relationships mixed in. It's a tough road to navigate for sure. So now, obviously, you're on the other side of it. Like we talked about, you've pivoted from fashion to your other passion, which is home decor, which I love. I don't want to hear all about this. So what inspired that shift? Okay, so after True Religion, another company called Baba Cool, I, I, I actually sold that for personal reasons you know, because uh, my son was leaving for college, mom was not well. And I decided, you know what, I, again, I need to, I need to be with my family. I need to just, business is going to take a back door over there. So I started, of course, building homes. But the interesting thing is I felt like I was retired, but I needed a challenge. And in business, I don't care what you're making, what you're selling, what you, if you have a, a, a strong business acumen, you can make paper clips. Like, it doesn't matter. It could be clay, home fashion. It was building homes. Couldn't find really when staging a cohesive brand throughout the homes. And you're talking 4,300 square feet homes, things that just look too eclectic. And it was a very difficult, arduous proposition. So I said, you know, fuck it. I'm going to start my own home fashion. And also because... All the bowls that I was eating from that my mom had passed, and they had so many memories. Mm. So I felt like I wanted to start a legacy. And this was at the start of COVID, not knowing this was going to happen, that everyone was going to be at home. But I have a lot of passion I, I, with homes and, mm. and home decor and rejuging and reupholstering and building. So, yeah. That's what I did. <laughs> so, I mean, it looks like, I, again, like you said, you could retire, you could be done, but you, you know, you have this passion and this excitement over, you know, whether it's home decor or this or real estate, you know, I think that's really amazing. So tell us about Style Union Home. It's fantastic. So it's out of my home. I have my kiln, I have my wheels. It's just like any other business. Okay. You have your team. I've uh, got an incredible team. Let me tell you something. My PR team, my marketer, my production. Like, so I have my team. And what they do is I do all the design, color, just like clothing. And I send it out to be made. I have my websites up, styleunionhome.com. And I'm already doing a hotel in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I know. And I'm working with the Soho House in London. A lot of things are coming up, working with the trade, restaurants, the gearing up for that. So I think what's interesting is people go, well, why, how do you know about clay? I know nothing about clay. I do now. I do now. <laughs> but it's like any fabric. You, you don't know how all fabric is going to react and how you're going to do it and how it needs to, to, to lay flat and be great story about fabric. Biggest mistake. I had a huge order for Neiman Marcus. The cutter didn't know that they had to lay the fabric overnight to let it uh, breathe. They cut it. It was a massive order for Neiman Marcus. 
it was a yoga yoga stuff, but it was, you know, more like sweats, loungewear. Everything was four and a half inches too short. But I sent it anyway and it sold out. <laughs> You're like cropped sweatpants. <laughs> Listen, the cropped sweatpants, I know they're little, you know, they knew what they knew. They knew. They, but they said, you know, listen, I said, if it doesn't sell, I'll yeah. take it. That's just part of business. So, you know, Style Union Home is, is, is the same thing. Some things are not going to come out right, but you know what? You've got to work with your consumer. I love it. The products are beautiful. They're amazing. Are you doing direct to consumer as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My website's up. Oh, my God. Yes. So we exciting. Pet bowls. We do menorahs. We do beautiful dishes. Beautiful. A lot of decor. So, like I said earlier, it's all very cohesive. So, you can walk into my kitchen and look at the decor and look at the plates and look at the dog bowls and look at it all is it's all mine. Everything in my kitchen and in my house, which is very large, is all mine. Amazing. Do you have ambitions to get into like furniture and larger items and things? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. I I hundred percent. My sister is an artist. Uh, we're, I'm an identical triplet. I don't know if you know that. What? Crazy. Yeah. yeah. My one sister is my real estate agent. My other sister was an acupuncturist, now artist. I'm taking her art, I'm putting it on furniture. She does wallpaper, she does yoga mats. And I did her art on clothing, lining on jackets and stuff. So now I'm just gonna put it into my home fashion, into the napkins and yeah. It's really- I love it. Keep it in the family, how fun. So do you still work in fashion in any capacity or are you like over it? God, well, this is fashion, isn't it? It's in its fashion. own way, yeah. It's own fashion. I get I get asked a lot. I do mentor a lot with Phoenix Fashion Week. Um, that's my extent. I think when you eventually do stuff with your eyes closed, it's not fun anymore. Mm. You know, I could do it in my sleep. You love the challenges. So let's talk about money. So we talked, you know, a little bit about you know your acquisition, all that stuff. So what's the biggest money mistake you've made along the way, and what did it teach you? Oh boy, biggest mistake. I was full of myself after true religion, thinking my new brand, I'm going to show them, you know, true religion. And I bought too much inventory, Mm. you know, and 2008 was, I mean, God, the market crashed. So good portion of the money that I allocated, I don't care how much money you have or how much money you don't have. You still have to be very mindful of where you allocate your dollars. Mm. But advertising, PR, whatever it is. And so I had a garage full of cute stuff. (laughs) Too much of it. So I tell people, you know, gosh, don't be afraid to say we're sold out or it's going to take another four weeks because I have to, you know, go get it made. And I think that's really my biggest mistake and my biggest, not my mistake, my biggest lesson. Right, right, absolutely. So what advice do you have for someone looking to start a business right now? Like, do you think it's harder or easier to start a business during the pandemic? And what advice can you share? You know, because we don't know exactly what's going to happen. I think with social media, when I started True Religion, there wasn't even an e-commerce. There was no social media. I think that social media now is such a huge push. I'm learning so much. I mean, listen, I'm not from that era. I mean, my kids are obviously, but it is extremely valuable, you know, learning even how to pivot into Zoom sales and, and mm. the, the, the outreach internationally. 
You know, I don't have an answer for, for the pandemic. What I do want to say is it's given me the opportunity because I've been on calendar for 30 years to not be on calendar and to mm-hmm. easily be more thoughtful of my product, you know, and how I want it presented. So I've learned to be more patient, but I don't know what's going to happen. And hopefully, I mean, I'm very hopeful and very positive person. So I just keep on going. Yeah, same. No, I totally hear you on that. I do think it's been interesting because it's same as you. Like I'm always on a plane. I'm always in a meeting. I'm always running around like crazy. And like, it's been very different to sit still, essentially not leave your house, think, you know, differently about things. So good for your new brand for sure. Cause I'm sure everyone's like stocking up on home goods, but so what traits do you think entrepreneurs need to succeed today and why? Oh, well, I, th- I think you're only as good as your team. I mean, quite honestly, I've said that probably a gazillion times. I think that you're, the energy of people around you can elevate your brand. You know, I believe in that. And I think that if anybody is disenchanted with what you're doing or who, you know, going to work, or, bye-bye. And I, and I tell you, I never ask anybody on the team to do something that I wouldn't do. You can lead by example. And as, a, as, as I think of the entrepreneur is a very thrown out word, I think you almost, and I hate to say this, people are going to be like, really? You have to earn that title. You have to have skin in the game. You have to have done the work. You've had to, you have to have failures. You really earn the word entrepreneur. It's kind of like, I can't just say, oh, I'm an actor. Have, what, what have you done? What have you worked? Have you gone to acting school? Have you, have you done the work? Have yeah. Casting calls. You know, I think, and, and people say, I don't understand that, but I believe it. It's what I believe. So instead of an entrepreneur, I'm learning and wanting to become a really good entrepreneur. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think it's like, you know, for me, it's funny because it's like, I feel like I, I, my business has been successful because I've done every single job in it, right? Like I, if anyone at any moment quit, I could do their job because I've done it. That is so perfect. I got chills because I'm up in the pottery studio on the floor mopping and they're looking at me and I'm like, what's wrong? Taking out the garbage, unloading the kiln, taking the kiln out. I'm taking the pottery out, you know, getting everything organized and doing that. And so what's interesting is, is that when you're an owner of a company, people don't expect it of you, but that's what I mean by leading by example. Mm-hmm. I'll take out the garbage. I don't care. I'm not above anybody. Yeah. Nobody, nobody is. I definitely think that's one of the keys to success. So when it comes to failure or something doesn't work out, what do you do in those moments? Like, how do you react to things not going well? Well, God, well, I have those all the time. I mean, I had potters leave. And so I got on the horn. I had a, I had a, they left on a Monday. I had a photo shoot on a Friday. I put ads in Santa Monica College on Craigslist. I got the most incredible, I, I, I don't react. I react positively. I don't get upset. Like I said, business, there's, it's not emotional. It's a business. It's not going to help me find people to help me. I am. And so how do I do that best? I don't react every single day. Is my, that is my motto. Do not react. Yeah, me reacting? How is that going to help? You know, people get all, all of an uproar. My God, they love, who cares? They didn't want to be here. I don't care. I'll find somebody else. I think that's also something that you learn with time too. Because I think early on, I was like, ah, anything that went wrong. Now I'm like, it's like the building's on fire. I'm like, okay, we'll figure do it you, out. <laughs> but do you see? Because 
you could do their job. Now, I could find potters of my production, like production people. There's production potters. Okay. It's going to take an extra day. Do I have to do the photo shoot the following Monday? It didn't have to, by the way. <laughs> that really is, that's what I mean by an entrepreneur, is you have to do your time. People react because they think that, oh my God, it's not going to happen. It's going to happen. Mm. Enjoy the journey, as I tell my kids all the time. It's not the end result. It's the journey. Absolutely. So looking back, you know, obviously at your career, what advice would you give yourself, your 19-year-old self, who's about to buy the building in Santa Monica? <laughs> The absolute thing that I just said to you, because <laughs> I was like, oh, no, my God, I just, that. you know, so I was very, very reactive mm. and I had to show, you know, if I was going to a trade show, I had to show everything. So I think to not show all of your cards or everything that you're, you know, to, to buyers, it looks, you'd be narrow and focused. It's kind of like the iPhone. They'll have another one coming out in three months. <laughs> Don't show everything. I also really want to say is to really appreciate your consumers. They're the ones making your business and customer service is the number one thing that is nobody does it anymore. Mm. I write hand notes. Every box I ship out. Time consuming, but you really want people to feel, you know, that they're appreciated. Absolutely. And I think that we're coming back. It's almost like a full pivot. It went from like very personalized to like mass consumer. And now I think it's back to like, I want to know who made this. I want to know about where it came from. I want to know how it's sourced. Like, I do think that's the beginning of a newer trend. So, so it seems like you're ahead of the curve on that. Yeah. Because, you know, I basically only eat out of my garden. I mean, I have a massive garden and an orchard and I thought to myself, what am I eating this on? That, that was another impetus to start this company because it's a conversation. Oh, mm. it's handmade. It's not made in China. It's made here in LA by hands. And that for me is important for me. If it's important for you, fantastic. If it isn't, I'm fine with that as well. Yes, that's right. And so you talked a lot about your team. I do want to ask you, like, what tips do you have to find the right people? Like, do you have any hiring must-haves or, or things that you sort of look for in potential candidates? No, it's interesting. What I do is I always like to have referrals. It's really interesting. I've gone through an agency once and it was a great experience, but I like referrals because if I trust that person's referral, like they, it's, it's, it's a trust thing. Mm. And so, uh, and sometimes it takes a couple times, but it's an energy thing too. I think when you become my age and you hire people, you know what you're looking for. And you certainly know what you're not looking for. It's a learning thing too, you know. Absolutely, over time. So obviously you're an extremely successful female entrepreneur. What do you think the biggest obstacles that women face today to be an entrepreneur, to be a successful businesswoman? I don't think there's any obstacles. I don't like to think that way. I don't think that way. So I, I'd like for women out there trying to be wanting to do something is just do it. Get rid of the fear. Like I said, I'm going to say it again. There is no fear in business. What's going to happen? Nothing. You're going to have a life experience. You're going to have a journey. You're going to learn so many things. There's no obstacle. The only obstacle, I think, generally speaking, are people themselves. Mm. Getting in your own way. Well, Kim, thank you so much. This was incredible. You're amazing. I could talk to you all day. I'm going to go buy some of your pottery right now because it's beautiful. <laughs> You're so sweet. Thank you. Of course. Well, thank you so much for your time. What's the pet bowl? I heard you had a pet. 
Oh yes, I have a dog. I know. I was literally going to look at the pet bowl too. It's like perfect. I'm like so excited to check it out. What's your dog's name? I have two. I have Winnie and Noah. So cute. Thank you. You're the best. All right. Bye, Kim. Have you bought your copy of Work Party the Book? Part career manifesto, part practical business advice, Work Party the Book is everything I wish I knew during my early years as an entrepreneur. The ups, the downs, the things I learned, and the women that helped me to make it happen. Just like in our podcast, Work Party the Book does not shy away from the nitty-gritty details you need to know. If you hope to start your own business or become the HBIC at your current gig, we're here to help you out. Available in hardcover and audiobook on Amazon, also on iBooks at Target and your local bookstore. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Work Party, the podcast. If you felt inspired and learned something new, let us know in a review on iTunes and check us out on social at Work Party. For every episode, we have downloadable resources available on workparty.com. So you can put these tips and tools into action for your own business. Thanks again for listening. And as always, work hard, party on.